afflicted by men, a man of sorrows with, and acquainted with grief. Isn't that a part where that's, that's comforting for you to know? He is not, God is not unrelatable to your sorrow and to your grief. Because Jesus came fully God, fully man, and experienced every bit of it. And every bit of temptation. He's a God who relates to us. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I think that's ironic. As, as, as one that men hide their faces. And what that's coming from is, it's kind of referencing back to Levitical law that people with leprosy, the skin disease that would eat them up and tear off their flesh, that, man, we, sh- we should hide our faces and not look at those people. And that's ironic for me in the context of talking about a king who would come of the everlasting kingdom, who would be God, who would have all of this power, okay? Because we see stories in the Old Testament of God saying, you can't see my face. He told Moses, you can't see my face or you'll die because I am completely holy and you have sin in your life. You can't see it. And now to say of the one who would come with all that power and all that authority that, that now men are hiding their faces from him because they, they think he's despised and shameful. That we, we won't look upon him because he's not worthy to be looked upon. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. I want us to know that in these verses we see a lot of times in the Bible, you see the word transgressions, you see the word iniquities, and there's, there's three primary words in the Old Testament that are used for sin and had carry a little different weight of meaning and two of them are being used right here in transgressions is, is more of the, the intentional disobedience against God, okay, especially against his laws that he put forth in the Old Testament that we're intentionally disobeying, disobeying God and the things that he has said for us to do or not to do. That's transgressions in our life. And then when it's talking about iniquities, That's covering a wide range of all the way from willful disobedience to who God is and just saying, God, I I know you're God, but I don't want to follow you. All the way down to the unintentional sins in our life just because we're sinful by nature. We have sin in our life. We're sinning sometimes. We don't even know it. The unintentional sins where it's not deliberate. We're saying, I'm going to sin today just because we're sinful people. And this verse has both of those in there. And it's covering that the one who would come and have power over sin has power completely over sin. Not just some sins in our life. Not just the sin of commission and omission, but complete power over every sin in our life. From the deliberate disobedience of God's law to the unintentional sins in our life to complete rebellion about knowing who God is and turning the other way. All of it completely. This one will come and have power over all of those sins in our lives. The transgressions and the iniquities. And he will bear the punishment of those, and that will bring us peace in this life. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, all have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was laid on him, that iniquity. 
Yet he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a, lamb, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Skip on down to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief. This wasn't by accident. And I hope you've already seen this morning through the prophecies that this is a plan of God from the beginning of time, that Jesus would come. A Messiah with power over sin would come, and it would be the Lord's plan for the iniquities of humanity and the transgressions and all of the sin to be placed on him for us. And in verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is saying, this prophecy is saying that this one Messiah who will come, that he will intercede, he will petition on our behalf. He doesn't just end and there's one time that, that Jesus paid for our sins, but he continues to intercede and petition for sinners. To say, don't punish them. And so this completely happens in the life of Jesus, doesn't it? We've already seen he was born of a virgin Mary. Fully God, fully man. He grew up, he lived a life talking about this kingdom, preaching repentance, turn from your sin, a life of obedience that he would do everything that God wanted him to do, that he came with a mission and with a purpose. And he was a king, but not in ways that was expected. And he had disciples that followed him. And one of those disciples named Judas betrayed him. And religious leaders and Jews, they hated him. And so he went to trial. And, and at one point, they would say, Who, I can let Jesus free. I can let this murderer free. And the crowds shouted out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus was beaten, okay, by his stripes were healed. He had stripes, physical stripes. He was beaten and he died on a cross. He fulfilled these prophecies with the sins of humanity on him. But they couldn't keep him down because he has complete power over all of these sins that we've talked about. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he appeared to many people. And back to his disciples. And he told his disciples, tell everybody. Tell everybody about what you have seen. Sometimes I think we've heard that so many times. That it doesn't excite us anymore. And it doesn't bring us joy. But that is the gospel. And that is Jesus. And I want us to look further, even deeper into what it means. So turn to Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 6. And I want us to look at this, okay? We've talked about, we've seen why Jesus came and what he did. And he fulfilled these prophecies as the one who would come and have power over sin. I'm not going to have to do much here because the word's going to lay it out of the implications of what that means for our lives. And it is good. 
but before the good, we're going to see some bad here, okay? And as, as we do this, as we look at this, I want us to do this together, okay? As we're looking at this word, I don't want us thinking, oh, this is, this is for somebody who hasn't heard this yet, or this is for somebody else, because I've heard this. This is for every one of us. Don't be a person who thinks that you move beyond the gospel for more knowledge in other areas. Because we never move beyond the gospel. If we do that, then we become moralist, really moral people, without understanding this is the power of Jesus in us and our faith and our trust and his ability to save us from our sin that enables us to do anything that is good. So as we look, reflect on yourself and your life. This is for all of us this morning, what Jesus has done for us. In verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. This word helpless, I want us to understand, this means the complete opposite of us having any control or any power. And so what it is saying is that we have no power in ourselves to even begin to wage war against sin in our lives. We are helpless, utterly helpless in doing this. And there's more. We are ungodly. We're the opposite of people who are worship, who worship and are devout to the God of the universe. We're ungodly, and it goes on to say we're not even good. We're not righteous, and we're not even good. It's really laying us out, laying it out there for us. And it's the effect of sin in our life. And so if we want to begin to understand the gospel in any kind of way, we've got to begin to understand this first, that we are helpless. We cannot wage war against sin. We're ungodly. In verse 8, this is really good. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, still sinners, we're not good, we didn't get a little, little better or righteous, we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. In this verse, the complete emphasis is on demonstrates. Your Bible may say demonstrate. Mine says show his love for us. That's what the emphasis is on is this word demonstrates, okay? There's many ways that I can, I, okay, I love my wife. And there's many ways that I can demonstrate that to her and show her my love. There's many ways that I can do that. And a lot of times I choose how I'm going to do that. And so in this verse, the emphasis is on that demonstration part. It's, a, okay, God loves us. Let that sink in, that God loves us. After all that we've talked about with this sin stuff, God loves us. And this is how he will show it. This is how he has chosen to demonstrate that love for us. Sometimes we want to be the ones that choose that. We want to choose how God would demonstrate his love for us. If God would do this for me, then I would really know that he loves me. If there was a God who loved me, then he would not have, have done this in my life. But we don't get to choose 
Thank God we don't choose. He chooses, and it is the best way that he would ever show it. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He shows us through the gospel, through the person of Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, and through his payment for the punishment of our sins and his resurrection that shows that he is so much more powerful than sin. Verse 10 says, for if while, well, verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Three huge things that I want us to say, okay? There's that word justified there. Word justified kind of carries the weight that God is this judge and we are completely guilty of our sin. But God says not guilty. He says we're all good. You're justified. You are good before me. Okay, so how can that, how can that be for us? That he would look on us and that he would say that. Well, sometimes we... Man, we think that it's because we started doing a lot of good stuff. God started to look on us in a better way because some of my good deeds can outweigh the bad. And this missional lifestyle that I've been trying out is kind of new and edgy. It can outweigh the things in my life that are guilty before God, even though I know I have no real trust in God's power to save me from my sin. But God's not looking at us. He's looking at Jesus who lived the perfect life. He's saying the only one that I've been pleased with perfectly in this life is my son, Jesus Christ. And I can look at you that way as not guilty because he's saying, Jesus, he's one of mine. He believes in me and he trusts me for his salvation from sin. And so I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at Jesus. We're justified and it goes on to say we are reconciled several ways. This carries more of the weight that, man, we, we are in strife against God. And I don't think we always fully understand this, that it's not just that we're guilty before God and he's our judge who will judge us. We are opposed to God. It says in this passage that the wrath of God is on us. And in other places that we are hostile towards God. We don't think of it being like that, but that's what sin is. Sin's not some light thing that we can downplay just because everybody does it and that God just excuses it somehow. We're hostile towards God. We're at strife between him, but we're reconciled. That means that we're no longer enemies with his wrath on us, but because of Jesus and his work on the cross and the punishment for our sins, that we move from enemies into his family, his sons and his daughters, with faith in who he is. If we say, Jesus, will you save me? I have faith that you're saving me through what you did. So not only are we not guilty before God, we're, we become moved from enemies to sons and daughters. And he loves us now with an everlasting love that will last forever and ever. All this is because of Jesus. Remember, we're helpless in this. And a part of this reconciliation is that we would receive it. There's a receiving portion of it. That it can't just be floating out there and you know about it in your head. You receive it. 
And receiving that looks like what we've talked about in this passage. You realize you're helpless. And that if you want to be not guilty before God, justified before God, and if you want to move from the wrath of God being on you and being an enemy of God, that you have to and, and move into his family as his son, his daughter, and he'll love you forever. That you have to receive that reconciliation by placing your trust that Jesus did this for you. That he died and, and paid the price for your sin. And then at the end of verse 10, it says that we're reconciled to God by the death of his son. And much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We'll be saved by his life. It is important for us and for our salvation to believe not only in the death of Jesus Christ, but in his resurrection. Because if he did not raised from the dead. Then he died with the sins of humanity on him. Just like we will die in our sin, our bodies will die because of sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus showed that he has power over sin. He took on the sins of the whole world and he said, they can't kill me. I have power over it. So we see a lot of bad things in this verse, but we see a lot of good things. Bad things, man, we're helpless, we're ungodly, we're sinners, we're enemies of God with his wrath upon us. But the good that we see is that God loves us, and then he demonstrates that love through Jesus Christ. So we are justified, that means we are not guilty before him. We can be saved from God's wrath, and we can be reconciled, that we move from an enemy of God to a son or a daughter of God in God's family. And all of this happens through the power of Jesus. This is through the power of Jesus that this happens. I don't want to lighten this morning for us sin and its effects. And I hope I haven't done that. I hope I've been clear. Because a lot of times, if we, at times that we're not truly believing in the gospel and Jesus' power to save our sins, we're going to fall over into one of two extremes. We're going to cheapen sin. And we're going to think that sin is, is not that bad. And when we do that, we diminish the power of Jesus and what he came for to save us from that. If we're saying sin's not very powerful, then we're saying Jesus is not very powerful. But some of us, we fall on the other extreme, okay? And you're struggling with sins and things in your life, habitual sins, and you know the weight of them, and you know that they are horrible and that they are terrible, and you are ate up with guilt in your life. You're paralyzed with it. You can't do anything because of the guilt in your life, and you can't see the love of God. You can't feel his spirit moving. And you've fallen in on the other extreme of making sin more powerful than Jesus Christ. And in both cases, Jesus is more powerful. Don't lighten sin because you lighten the power of Jesus. And don't make sin more powerful than Jesus. Sin is very powerful in its effects. And we have to guard our hearts and we have to be careful. But Jesus is that much more powerful to forgive it. And if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation for you. You are a child of God, and he loves you forever, 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 forever. And he's working out the salvation he's given you through your life now. And so as we wrap up, okay, two things. One, you may have heard this, and for, 
for us and where we live. I would guess everybody has somewhat heard about Jesus and what he's come to do, but, but just like Jesus was a prophet who came to point out sin, really for the first time in your life, you're feeling the conviction of sin. And Jesus is saying to you, you are a sinner, you are helpless, you need me, and you don't have me. And this morning, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. And there's no, you just cry out for Jesus to save you. And that's what you need to do this morning for some of you. For many others, we have heard this and we believe this. And it is my hope that your heart is bouncing with joy. Because I tell you, for me, I need to hear the gospel over and over and over. Because what God is wanting to do is increase our faith in the gospel. It takes the faith the size of a mustard seed to enter into the kingdom of God. But he wants to grow it to where we believe it. And it plays out in every single part of our life. And so I hope that you're joyful and I hope that you will be reminded. And for this morning, we're going to take on each side here communion, the Lord's Supper. And this time for you may look like that you need, to, you need to pray and you need to get some things right. You need to confess some sin in your life or you need to just sit there and just let the joy that's in your heart from, from being reminded of what Jesus has done for you just overflow in your life. But this morning, if you are a believer and if you've already put your faith in Jesus Christ, then, then you can come whenever you're ready and partake and, and pinch off a piece of the bread. Because Jesus said, this, this is a representation. As he told his disciples, this is, this is my body that was broken. Everything that we've talked about this morning, about what Jesus did for us, he said, this will be a reminder that my body was broken for you. I took the punishment for your sins. And you can dip it there in the cup. And said, this is my blood that was shed for your sins. And you can be reminded of the gospel. And you can set out to say that, that I want to believe more and more in the gospel and have it play out in my life. God, continue to do a work in me. So whatever that may look like for you this morning, we're going to enter into that time. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your demonstration of love, God, and that it was a perfect demonstration of who you are through the person of Jesus Christ. God, help us not move beyond who you are, God, but grow to believe your gospel message, your good news more and more. That that would show in the way that we live our lives to you and for you. God, I pray as we sung earlier that you would be the center of our lives. That we would know you're holding us together without you we're helpless and the wrath of God is on us but with you we are your children and you love us. Jesus, I pray that you would work during this time in our hearts and we'll praise you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.